1: All right. Welcome back, beautiful people. Uh, this is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman daniel And thank you so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate all of the feedback that we've gotten. Patients that have come to the office, uh, you know, saying that they've learned something. And uh, we're so excited about that. Um, keep your questions coming because uh, these Uh, podcasts are basically built off of what the crowd wants. Absolutely. And we love your questions
0: and makes us feel good that you're listening.
1: Amen. Uh, So today is actually a really fun topic and it's uh, one of Dr. Daniel Poor's specialties. And I think it's really... uh, You know, this is something that is, you know, all of the questions that we get for post mommies, um, you know, for people just during the aging process, or even younger individuals that suffer from, you know, saggy breasts. And so the idea today is we are going to talk about how to treat the saggy breasts. So we're talking about breast lift and AKA mastopexy. Absolutely, and and we're going to talk to you about all the different types, what
0: you can expect, how we do them, uh, the gimmicks that you shouldn't fall for, um, and how we can replace volume and and really kind of dispel some myths and, and educate you on what breast lifts are really all about.
1: That's right, and and uh, you know what, we, first and foremost, what we will do is kind of go over what causes this in the first place. There is a certain classification, and that's how surgeons really dictate or determine the proper treatment and then uh, go into some of the some of the options whether it's um, you know minimally invasive uh not non invasive minimally invasive, and then on the more invasive side and um, you know, I think that Dr. Daniel Parkin, you, you can definitely uh, go into these in great detail. And so um, you could talk about this forever, but I think what we'll do is we'll kind of give you some of the main points, what to ask, what we're looking for, and ultimately what your options are. So first and foremost, what causes, you know, this sagging type of breast? And, and, and it's interesting because,
0: you know, when you look at some, some statistics that are out, a new statistics just came out from the American Society of Plastic Surgeons show that breast lifts have grown 70% since the year 2000, which are really outpacing breast implants two to one, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, breast lifts, the main reason for them is due to some sort of deflation, or it could be weight loss, it could be pregnancy, it could be loss of of elasticity over time. They're and more, just the way you're born. And yeah. then exactly. And then the one thing is just some people are just born with breasts that are a little bit saggier. Now, mm-hmm. one of the most common questions that that's asked is. Well, if I get a breast lift, am I also getting a breast reduction, or vice versa? And it's an interesting question because a breast reduction almost always, almost always, will call will also have a breast lift. Probably ninety plus percent of the time, most mm-hmm. people that need breast reductions will also have a breast lift. But a breast lift will not always make your breast smaller. It may by a very small amount, very small percentage, but it's never going to make your breasts larger or smaller, just a lift by itself. And towards the end of this podcast, we'll talk about how you can add volume as well with a breast lift. But that's one of the most common kind of questions people ask. Hey, am I getting a breast reduction? Are
1: they going to lift my breasts as well? And yes, absolutely. So some of the things that happen, we'll just talk about, uh, you know, the on average. So there's the aging breast, and which is probably the most common, um, you know, because it's either been, as you said, through pregnancy, through weight loss, you know, weight fluctuations, things like that. We have an excess of skin. We have a paucity or lack of breast tissue. And then there are certain things that can happen and, and contribute to it, such as Uh, we call them striae, which are stretch marks in the breast. And, um, you know, we've said it before. It's almost like, you know, when you lose the reins of the horse, uh, any type of volume tends to fall. Um, Sometimes there's larger areolas, and whether you're born that way, whether the breast has stretched and deflated, whether it's from pregnancy, um, there are all kinds of different changes to the breast. And so the goal is, you know, it's interesting because you know, most of our treatments are geared towards a particular uh, study that was done, you know, a long time ago, which showed what the so-and-quote-unquote perfect breast is. And so, we base our surgeries based off of that. Per, th- these different parameters. And it's interesting because each of us as surgeons, we have our own aesthetic. Same thing for a nose, same thing for, you know, uh, other surgeries. Um and so, I'm, I'm so excited to pick your brain on, on what that is, but the first thing that we look at, so when someone comes in, uh, you know, we take a- adequate measurements, you know, where we take measurements that are from the sternal notch, so right by the neck, to each nipple. Then we take one from the nipple down to what we call the inframammary fold, the fold of the breast, and then you take the width of the breast and then you assess the amount of pinch to see whether there's uh, an adequate amount of breast tissue because sometimes you can't just do a lift. I mean, if you if you do the lift and remove all that skin, which is usually what's filling out uh, an extra cup size, um, sometimes you'll have nothing left and, except for scars. And so, um, you know, things that we ultimately look for, it's something called the Regno, Regno uh, classification. And so... We start off as where there we, let's say we draw a line on the breast and it's really at the inframammary fold. And then we say the normal youthful breast is the breast tissue as well as the areola uh, and the nipple are above that line. A grade one ptosis, P T O S I S, which is a sagging of the breast is essentially where we start to get the, uh, uh, you know, breast tissue that falls a little bit below that line, but the areola and the nipple are still above it. A grade two is where the nipple and areola and the breast tissue are at that line. So we say the nipple areola complex are really at that line and breast tissue has fallen below. And then the grade three is where the whole nipple areolar complex is below that line. It's below the inframammary fold, and it's the lowest point of the breast. Now, there is another stage where we have pseudotosis. You know, people have tried to add this part to the classification. So, a grade four is where you have more pseudotosis, where the nipple itself is at the uh, you know, at or above the line, but a lot of the breast tissue falls below it. And so, uh, you know, I think that, uh, again, our treatments are based off of uh, these generalized classifications. And it's very
0: interesting because with, with that, um, there hasn't been a whole lot that has changed over the years. Um, the one thing I will say, though, is each individual is very different. And and has different desires and, and you'll come in and and the way we we mark a mastopexy or where we put the nipple position i had a patient yesterday said i don't want my nipples too high i want them lower on my chest and it's very interesting because we look at everything very textbook what dr Lakey said is i'd like to take your view on it because all of our aesthetics the way we look at things are very different mm-hmm. so um you know some plastic surgeons like to do things one way, and some some like the other. Some people like very big breasts, some people like very small breasts, mm-hmm. and you have to really kind of figure out that your aesthetic goal is going to match that practitioner. Um, you know, not everyone's going to come here and see us, but what we do try to teach you is when you're looking for somebody who to do your breasts, make sure that they are understanding what you're looking for, and that's one of the mistakes I made early on in my career. Mm-hmm. I always thought, hey, if someone's coming in for, for example, a breast reduction, I'm going to take out enough to make her feel better, but also keep a really pretty breast. Mm-hmm. Some people don't want that. And and I learned over the years that you really have to listen to who your audience is and who the it's really a customer is because that patient is looking for something in, spe, you know, in particular. And in the beginning, sometimes I made breasts not small enough mm-hmm. and I'd have to go back and make them smaller. And now I really sit there and talk to people at length, exactly. Show me pictures, show me else, because ultimately
1: you want to do this once and get it done. You know, it's interesting because you're right, because we've had patients before that have said, listen, cut them off. I don't want them you know they, they and other people who say look I I just want to wear I don't I don't want to have to wear a bra. And so those are two different uh van- viewpoints or vantage points and so for us we have to tailor the the treatments accordingly. So I figured what we could do is kind of break up the potential treatments and and the style and types of 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 breast lifts all based off of non-invasive, minimally invasive, maybe fat transfer and then we uh talk about uh, more invasive surgical. And obviously surgical is going to be the most common just because there's no real way to remove all of that tissue or skin without cutting it out. And so um you know I thought w- what would you say what would you say your go-to would be? Let's say it's a young female. You've got a 21-year-old female or 20-year-old female. She's in college. She lacks the self-confidence because she feels breasts are a little droopy. And when you examine her, you think, oh, listen, they're not that bad. What could you do as far as you know, non-invasive or maybe minimally invasive? Again, and, and I say this
0: kind of with a grain of salt because there's so much these non-invasive Procedures can do. And mm-hmm. as a plastic surgeon, it's it's my last resort if somebody doesn't want to have surgery, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, any type of skin tightening procedure, we personally in this practice love Morpheus. Mm-hmm. So, it's an external heat based, radio frequency based. We've talked about this on, on other podcasts that does basically microneedling and radio frequency to try to get some collagen production, dermal contraction, and really just kind of thicken the skin and, and give you a little bit of a lift. Now, there are studies that show by using it, you can get a little bit of a lift. Mm-hmm. Your nipple's not going to be pulled up by multiple centimeters, but we're talking more millimeter, kind of a little bit of tightening, a little bit sure, of Sure, you could
1: probably get five millimeters, maybe even a centimeter, yeah. which is significant in someone who's got just a little sag to it. And and, and I notice even in our surgical procedures that you automatically do this as an adjunct, uh, to improve the quality of the skin, because the bigger they are, the faster they fall, and, uh, and you know, if the skin quality is not good, I just noticed that you do that. Absolutely, and and the problem is, you know,
0: and, and you know this with with, face, with facelift surgery, you're only as good as what you're working with. If the if the skin envelope, if the skin quality is really poor, if this, let's say you're you're operating on a, a massive weight loss patient who's got really bad ptosis and their breasts are sagging significantly, well. Here's the thing, and this is something that I just had a patient talk to her last week. You can make it as tight as you want. It's going to sag again because the reins to the horse, like we talked about, it, it, they're gone. So what's holding everything up is that dermal uh, integrity or the strength of your dermal la- level mm-hmm. of, of your, or layer of your skin. Um, and most of these people that have had their skin stretched out due to pregnancy or, or massive weight loss or, or genetics, sometimes it's really hard to fix that. So if we use something like Morpheus as an adjunct, especially during surgery, it's amazing because you give it a little bit more of a chance. I also like to use the fractionated Pico laser. Um, that's been you know shown to help with some stretch marks. Again, these are procedures... They're not miracle procedures. They need to be done multiple sessions. So realistically, the Morpheus session, I like doing six weeks apart, three sessions at least. Um, And then the Pico laser, man, I like to do that eight or 10 times, anywhere between a week and two weeks apart, because you're trying to at least cause enough stimulation um, to to build some collagen. Um, So if you want something like that, there's also studies that show you can do body tight, which is another kind of, minimally invasive treatment using radiofrequency under the skin to get a little bit of contraction. Again, I'm not a huge fan of doing that because you do melt some breast tissue, um, but it does get a little bit of a lift.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And and so I think... Again, for for any surgeons listening out there, if you haven't used this as an adjunct to surgery, I highly recommend using it. I, it'll give you, you know, it's a difference between getting an A- minus result and an A-plus result. Absolutely. Yeah, and as far as longevity, you want it to do something to improve the quality of the skin.
0: And the one thing I say is it's, it's never, stretch marks are one of these things that are very, very difficult to treat. It's almost impossible to remove them, to get rid of them. But if we can make them better, even by a small percentage, 20%, 30%, that we really hit a home run
1: this is dr john lakey at forever young hope you're enjoying the show dr daniel poor and i will be back after a quick break So that moves us maybe to the next category, which is, uh, you know, still we had talked about it. it's minimally invasive, but still, it's kind of a two for one. Right. And where you, you know, it's we had a previous uh, podcast that talked about fat transfer to the breast, but this is one of those things where sometimes if the skin envelope, meaning the breast skin itself is still... It has good integrity, and it, it, you just have a little bit of deflation. So let's say it's from pregnancy or something like that, and you don't want to put in an implant. Sometimes you can get a breast lift just by doing fat transfer.
0: Absolutely, and there's you know for for the plastic surgeons that are listening, there are a ton of all, there's a ton of uh, uh, papers out there about how volume can can raise the nipple position. Um, but we'll talk about fat first, and then we'll talk about the, uh, breast augmentation. Volume will always lift. Okay, it is a known fact. But what Dr. Lakey said, which is really important, is if there's good skin integrity and there's a little bit of deflation, well, it's a perfect candidate. Instead of putting scars on the breast, what we can do is fill the breast out. And what that does is volume will raise the nipple position just enough and fill the envelope out enough. And the beauty of it is, yes, it's a two-for-one procedure. So you can take a, an area that's a really kind of a hard uh, area to lose weight or lose fat, and you can target that area, really sculpt yourself, take that fat, purify it, and inject it into your breast. Most studies show that this lasts generally depending on your type of, of fat transfer and if you're, you know, obviously not a smoker and you stay in shape and don't lose too much weight right away so the fat takes stuff, you know, the fat can take and, and, and last for five to 10 years, which is amazing. On the same level, you know, you're also getting s- sculpted. So for a lot of people, they look at it as, oh, I'm going to do suction in one area and then I'm just going to put it somewhere else. So it's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Now, would it be a true
1: breast lift? It all depends on how much, ZAG you have. Sure. So, you know, listen, fat transfer has been uh, used for decades and we put it in the face and now uh, Brazilian butt lifts have been uh, popularized and breast is is no exception. I mean, you can create a perfect shaped breast in, certain, in a certain uh, candidate, uh, just using fat transfer alone. Absolutely. So I think it's a, and we a love great, it. Yeah, <laughs> and a great option because you don't have to put in a foreign body. There's no implant. We don't worry about those complications. Um, what are some of the downsides of fat transfer? The you know the biggest downside of fat transfer
0: is that it can all go away. Um, so you, you get this fat, you inject it and some of it doesn't take, or all of it doesn't take. Well, that's, it is what it is. And that's what you're doing. Second thing is, you know, very rarely you can get some oil cysts or, or, Or you can get some areas that get infected. How often does that happen with us? Honestly, very, very rarely. Mm -hmm. Um, This was a concern years ago um, with radiology and mammography. And they would say that they couldn't really tell the difference between these oil cysts and cancer. Now there is no problem with that because we're using fat transfer for breast cancer reconstruction mm-hmm. so we know that it's safe and we know that we can look at it and this is a very common question that's asked by a lot of people if i get fat transfer in my breast is it going to mess with the architecture of my breast tissue it is not we can actually tell the difference between fat and breast tissue on mammography and on mri so it's not something you can you don't have to worry about
1: and the good part about fat you know it has some stem cell potential mesenchymal stem cells and so we're hoping that the fat transfer actually has some type of regenerative properties. Um, it We know that in radiated breast tissue for breast cancer that it improves the quality of the skin um, and reduces complication rates and things like that. So we know that using this fat helps to, quote unquote, rejuvenate the breast itself. Absolutely. Um, you know that brings us obviously to the next category which obviously is uh, near and dear to your heart one of your favorite procedures and and there's so many different ways of performing the same operation and so um i you know i thought maybe what we could do is kind of go from least invasive all the way to you know, a, a wise pattern or, a, sure. you know, a anchor type of incision. And and maybe we can go over your favorite, which is the auto augmentation, because um, I think that it it just is a beautiful procedure if done correctly. And so, you know, I'll let you take it from so, there. So,
0: I'll, you know, there's, there's, without being too technical and talking to you about exactly what each one's called or there, the Basically, to to put it in a nutshell, the way a breast lift works is you are trying to raise your nipple areolar complex and you're taking away some skin. Now, it all depends on the amount that needs to be taken. And that really will designate the extent of scars. So, um, you can you
1: know, and it and, should. It should. Uh, what we have seen in the past, and obviously, you know, if we're doing a revision on something that's already been done, and they, you know, they say it's "quote unquote" botched, is because someone who only does one particular type of breast lift on the wrong individual. It will just never work. So, and one of those I think we can start with is the, the circumareolar the, the Benelli lift or, yeah. you know, trying to avoid scars on the breast. So, they just do, a, you know, right around the areola. What are some of the issues that we see with that?
0: So, if I could tell you one of the most common complications or patients that we see um, is this periareolar or circumareolar. Or, or Benelli or anything that's basically just putting the scar around the areola. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a, a really a, a very small subset of the population that can get this. In my opinion, if you're getting an implant and getting a a circumareolar lift, it's much better because you're actually putting some volume in and it won't make the breast as flat. But generally what, what you're thinking about is you're just putting an incision around the nipple areolar complex. So it's around your areola. And you're trying
1: to cinch as much skin as you can around it. Now, imagine a big pair of pants you're a 32 waist and uh, you're wearing a 40 and you're trying to put a belt on to cinch the area so you can wear these pants. You can get an idea of what those what the waistline of those pants are going to look like, right? Absol- Scalloped. And, absolutely. And, and the idea for us is when we close incisions, we want that incision to be perfectly co-opted together so you have a nice thin line. So what it usually happens? So the problem with this is it...
0: it- The most common problem with this is you get a very widened scar. Mm -hmm. And the key behind these breast lifts is you really want to make them so they heal well. And I'll show you some pictures. You can go on our website. You can go on other people's websites. Sometimes you can basically not see the scars if they're not on tension. Problem is when you take a bigger, bigger diameter and you're trying to put it into a smaller diameter, well, it's going to want to pull apart. Um, and that's what I've seen over the years, and they're very, very difficult to revise. Doing another circumareolar, so sometimes taking that and doing a proper breast lift, whether whether it's a vertical or or an inverted T, it actually comes much. It comes much nicer because you're not just taking the tension in a circle, but you're but you're putting it through other. Um, other areas where it makes the tension come off and it makes it heal much nicer. Now, if you're trying to raise your nipple areolar complex by a small amount, five millimeters, a centimeter,
1: and there's not a lot of extra skin, well, this is a very fine way to do it. Um how, I know, I know. You know, it's an interesting part. Most papers say by if it's less than two centimeters you can yeah. do it. But and you would err, much. yeah. You would err on the one centimeter side or less because um, you really want... It, the whole idea is this. Let's say you lift the breast, you make it perky, It's uh, it's got a great shape, and then the areola widens to the point where it's, you know, a third of the breast. It just, it doesn't look good. It never looks so, good. I mean, and then again...
0: you know, then you try to microneedle it and then you try to laser it and it just doesn't come out that well. Mm -hmm. So unless you're that perfect candidate, which is very rare, that's not something. And there's also something called a crescent lift where you can just take a tiny little crescent of skin from above uh, the areola to lift it. And that's a very small subset of the population. I do that on people that have very asymmetric breasts where one side needs to be lifted by five millimeters to look like the other side. And you can do those things and you can get really creative, but realistically, most people that, that need a proper lift, um, I, in my opinion, should have either a vertical or a wise or a modified wise. Now, as for plastic surgeons, I'm not going to get into pedicle selection and all that because it's unnecessary. The layperson won't even understand. But I will talk about this for one second. Most people that come in and, and want to know about this procedure will say to you, so doctor, what do you do with my nipple? And, and really, the, the, it's really—it's it, it, a complex of a nipple and an areola that all come together. Do you cut it off and put it on a side table and then put it back on? <laughs> now, this is, important, this is important, guys, because no, we don't. We, I mean, there is a procedure called a free nipple graft, but honestly, we've never done that in practice. I don't think we ever will. In residency, maybe did a couple. But um, the way we do this so it is a successful operation so, the sensations intact, and hopefully, the muscle function of the areola is intact, is by keeping your nipple and areola complex attached to an underlying piece of breast tissue and dermis, um, which is, for, for lack of a, a better word, is dermoglandular. Okay. Um, and there are different ways you can do it. You can have it come down from the center of the pedicle, from the bottom of the pedicle, from the top of the pedicle, from the side of the pedicle. But generally speaking, that's what it is. We maintain the blood supply to this nipple areola complex.
1: We never take it off. So you're basically just cutting around it, removing all this tissue around it, and then just rotating the areola into its new position. Absolutely, exactly. and the same thing we do for
0: breast reductions too. Mm-hmm. Now, with that said, the 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 patterns that we choose generally are are picked for the amount of excess skin mm-hmm. um you have a lot of extra skin you're going to have larger scars and if anyone tells you otherwise it's it's impossible, you have to realize it's, it's kind of like Dr. Lakey brought up a, an analogy about about clothing. If you lost a ton of weight and you love that you know jacket or suit that you've been wearing for years, you've got to make seams somewhere. There's got to be seams so we can make them. People come in all the time. They're like, you really have to put scars on my breast? I'm like, of course we do.
1: You know it's interesting that you say that because there are studies that have been shown, and if you look at the three variables, which are shape, size, and scars, shape will always trump size or scars. The perfectly shaped breast—you you could put scars on it, and people will still say that it's aesthetically pleasing uh, over a breast that is not aesthetically pleasing and has, you know, doesn't have the perfect shape. And the interesting part is that's what you know—it's one of the main fears and one of the main questions that that patients ask when they come in. And honestly. Um, you know, there's so many different things that we can do with the scars. Let's say you scar poorly or something doesn't ha- you know, uh, heal well between lasering, microneedling, or revision. Uh, honestly, we can make all of the scars look really good. And, um, you know, I think that y- what you need to do when you come to a plastic surgeon and you know that you need a lift, no one wants scars on their breasts. No one wants scars anywhere. But the idea is if we can give you the perfect shape, it will definitely trump Size because a perfectly small breast looks better than a you know abnormally shaped large breast absolutely and a perfectly shaped large breast well you know and vice versa, and so the goal for us is to come up with the best plan to give you the perfect shape so from here, you know, I, again, we, we were kind of dogging the uh, circumarial lift, just the Benelli, classic Benelli, because um, a lot of times people misuse that procedure. We've Absolutely. done it Absolutely. and you make it look great in the appropriate patient. But now we need to move to the more common patterns. And so I think maybe I'll let you uh, kind of talk about yeah, those. And, 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 you know, I'll just, I'll take it and
0: kind of give you a couple of, ex- of examples patient comes in um is a is a 25 year old female and she's lost 150 pounds and her breasts are just super saggy and they have no volume well what there's two ways to go about this because patients will come in and they're like i want you to make a, an aesthetically pleasing breast but i also want you to make it bigger so, then you run into the fact that, okay, we're going to give you a breast lift, most likely do some kind of modifies, modified wise pattern, which means the the and scar will go around the areola, will come straight down like a lollipop, and then go along with the curve of the breast. The so, anchor. So an traditional anchor. anchor. Anchor, upside down T, you know, anything like that. And then it's plus or minus volume. So, how are we going to add volume? No. The best and most traditional way and the most predictable way is a breast implant. So, this is now called an augmentation mastopexy. Or Would you breast.
1: still say it's the best way in, in certain individuals? Or, you know, because it's predictable? Because it's predictable, it's still
0: the go to. I love putting fat in, I do. But for example, a massive weight loss patient, I think you may not have enough fat to even get. Um, so, some of these people, yes, I think, but the key here is making sure that it's not too big because you have to really make sure you pick the right size implant because it's like what you said before, it's a very counterintuitive type of operation. You're putting an implant that's pushing out and down and then you're doing a lift that's pulling up and in. Mm -hmm. So it's fighting against each other and you have to find the perfect balance.
1: And really, I think what you've determined is that, um, you know, for people who want that upper pole fullness, that's when you use an implant. Absolutely. You know, because fat over time, you're going to get a very natural looking breast. Now, granted, it's going to be a beautiful shape, but um, you may not have as much fullness in the upper pole of the breast. So for those of you who want a very natural breast and you have some breast tissue, I would just do the lift um, but if you want that upper pole fullness, it looks like an implant, um, you know, then you go with the, the And implant. it's true.
0: And 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 more and more now, if that same 25-year-old female came in, and let's just say she came in with D-sized cups, um, she had relatively good breast tissue, she didn't want to be much smaller, um, but she wanted her breasts lifted because they were sagging too much. Well, that's just a no-brainer. We do what's called an auto augmentation, use in the breast tissue that's really causing the most of the sag, which is at the lower pole of your breast, and super basically take that and make it into an implant. Use that piece of breast tissue, don't cut it off, but just kind of transpose it into another area, transfer it to, to the upper pole of the breast, we suture it onto what's called the pectoralis fascia, and then do the breast lift over the top. and I'll to tell you it looks like a breast dog with a lift. Sure. It's
1: a living implant. Best part about uh, it is you don't have an implant. Mhm. And so you you avoid those complications of capsular contracture and implant malposition and you know all all things like that. But um, you have to
0: have breast tissue for that one. So that's that's mm-hmm. the 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 take home message of that now there is also a third way of doing it what we talked about earlier do the breast lift you can even do a breast lift with an auto augmentation and then do some liposuction add some more fat if they if you want more volume especially in the upper pole um very natural way to do this this is not going to look fake if you're looking for a faker look that's the only way to go with an implant We hope you're enjoying this episode. If you'd like more information about our practice, you can check out our Instagram. It's plasticstocks, P L A S T I X D O C S, on Instagram for more information. Dr.
1: Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break.
0: Now, you know, some of the most common questions that are asked. Um, how do we what size areolas do we make for
1: people like
0: why do we do a certain areola and how do we cut it out and what do we use and and it's it's interesting because these are all done because of studies
1: Mm -hmm. and so really the you know again going back to some of the studies showing on average how large is the areola in an aesthetically pleasing breast and i think More often than not, we do not agree with this, but um, we use it as a guideline. And so, you know, for very large breasts, so really we use what are called 38 millimeter cookie cutters. That means that the diameter itself is 3.8 centimeters. Um, But you have to imagine, depending on the size of the breast, if it's a smaller breast, you don't want to have an areola that large. So you want to make it a little smaller. So we tailor ours accordingly. So we use that as a guide, but not necessarily as an end point for every single uh, breast lift or, or augmentation mastopexy. And so, um, you know, but on average... 3.8 centimeters in diameter. Absolutely.
0: Um, and, and again, the, the, the scars that are associated with what we're talking about, they heal beautifully. And over time, they really do fade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of just going to take you through. So now that we talked about the different types of breast lift um, and how we're going to do them, unless I left something off, because really in this practice, I'll tell you, we either do a breast lift with an auto augmentation, a breast lift by itself, a breast lift with fat transfer, breast lift with an uh, an augmentation and those are the real couple of different ways of doing it depending on if you need volume or not and then we also always you know always try to do some sort of skin tightening procedure to add to it because again you want to just make your your results even better um now with that said uh you know the timeline of how this works and if you came into this practice and what you can expect even if you go anywhere else breast lift surgery is very easy for the patient. It is not a very painful operation. It's not something that's going to keep you in bed. It's not something that's going to debilitate you. If you get a breast augmentation at the same time, it may be a little bit more painful. But generally speaking, if it's just a strict breast lift, all we're doing is dealing with breast tissue and skin. And most of the time, The pain associated with that is minimal to none. Um, Most of our patients take Tylenol. They don't take narcotics after this operation, and maybe for a few days. Um, You do wear a a sports bra or a surgical bra for the first six weeks. No underwire bra, because we don't want it to dig into the incisions. And generally speaking, we keep you away from working out, doing any heavy lifting of the upper body, going swimming or soaking for the first six weeks, After that, you can do just about anything. Um, Most people that come in here and they say, when can I go back to work? Depends on your work. But if you did this on a Thursday for most people, and you've got a desk job. Mondays totally fine to go back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other, you know, very common things that that we talk about, and and what do we use for scar treatments? You know, there are a variety of different things that can be used for scar treatments. We've talked about this on other podcasts. You can refer to them. However, for breasts, my go-to will always be something called Embrace. The Embrace Scar Therapy System is really it's the best level one um, data that's come out against scars. I mean, it works beautifully. Problem with it is if you've got an adhesive al- adhesive allergy, you can't use it. So the alternatives are either silicone patches. I love the the areola silicone patches that you basically are cutouts. You can just put them right on your areola or you can use basic scar cream that's silicone based. And that's really, we like, to, we like people to, to take care of those and, and really treat those scars for the first couple months. mm mm-hmm. Normally like to wait anywhere between 6 and 12 months prior to any type of scar intervention, meaning either lasers or microneedling, unless we can see there's something going on, like there's some keloids or something. We don't really touch them. Let your body do its own thing for a while. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I think that's the good part about having several different modalities to treat scars is that we're never concerned. I know it's one of the major concerns of patients coming in. But uh, at the end of the day, if we can camouflage those scars, um, you, you know, I think that uh, it's, it's, a, it's really not an option. I mean, n- not an issue.
0: I completely agree. And again, I, I, I told a story to someone the other day. I saw a patient that we did a breast lift on long time ago, came back to say hi. She left the country. She came back to say hi. I remembered her scars really were horrible. Mm-hmm. The scars were gone eight years later. They were gone. I thought she had another surgery. I'm like, did someone fix your scars? No, they were gone. So scars do fade over time. Um, the longer you wait, the better
1: they get. Um, and you have an idea of it, even you know, for those of you who have ever sustained a laceration as a child, uh, especially on the face or arm or something like that, and then you come back as an adult and look at your scar, it's very rare that it's still ugly and raised and pigmented. It usually, you know, by that time has really disappeared unless, um, you know, it's over a joint and even then, or unless it's uh, tethered to something below, you know, and uh, let's say you have a scar that's on your face, it tethers down below, every time you smile, you see it. Unless there's some intervention there, obviously that's not going to improve. But the texture and the color definitely will.
0: Absolutely. Um, and and you know some of the most f- uh, frequent questions, and I'm going to go over a couple little things. You know, are are the demographic that gets a breast lift um, probably the the most common patient that walks in is a post pregnancy. You know, somebody a mommy who's breastfed three or four kids, um, and and they come in because they want to restore their pre pregnancy body. It's a part of our mommy makeover. We do it all the time. The reason I'm telling the story is, is is the younger women that come in here, the younger girls, girl that's 18, that's going to college, doesn't like the fact that her breasts sag. One of the most common questions is, am I going to be able to breastfeed if I do mm-hmm. this operation? And, you know, I say this because it's happened in the practice. Operated on a lady recently, a couple maybe about a year and a half ago. She said she was done having babies, did a breast augmentation and a lift, came back, Two years later, told me she had another baby and she breastfed the baby. I'm not saying it works for everybody, but if you could breastfed before and the breast lifts done properly and you maintain a nice pedicle and, and there should still be some milk product, milk production. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's 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 about somewhere around thirty to thirty-five percent of the population that can't really make much milk. So if you're in that kind of number. Um, whether or not you have the breast lift or not, it doesn't matter. So, most people can maintain it. Um, the sensation to the nipple are complex and the muscle function should still be intact. Um, it may take six months to come back. It may take even up to a year to come back. But most people that have these breast lifts or breast reductions, they, they still maintain sens- sensitivity
1: without a problem. Mm-hmm. So, you know, looking at everything that you've said, I mean, obviously, when you come to a plastic surgeon's office, you obviously, I would go to a board-certified plastic surgeon, make sure that they do a lot of breast surgery. And, and one way to learn that is by looking at their before and afters, whether it's on their website or in the office. And, you know, using that Renault uh, uh, classification, the idea is that the, t- the treatment is tailored accordingly, if you found yourself to be a grade three, uh, to have grade three ptosis, and someone's asking for to do a circumareolar lift or a Benelli because you are afraid to have scars on the breast, get prepared uh, or be prepared to have complications because that is not the right operation. The whole goal behind this is that each of these procedures are that we have discussed are based off of your preoperative measurements and shape to the breast. And then what your desired outcomes are. I mean, you know, everyone has a a different desired outcome. Some people just want to be smaller and perkier. Some people want to add volume and be bigger. Um, But the goals are essentially the same, to create the best possible shape. Absolutely. And and
0: remember, just like all of the pexies that we do or all of the lifts that we do as plastic surgeons, it's not going to last forever. Um, and it depends on your skin quality. It really does. Now, is it going to sag back to where it was before? Well, it depends. depends if you have really bad stretch marks. Some people, their lifts will last forever. Most of the time, if someone asks you, how long does any type of lift last, depending on which plastic surgeon you talk to, Mm -hmm. anywhere between 10 and 20 years. So some people will tell you 10 years, some will take 15, some will tell you 20. Um, If you take better care of yourself, if you wear bras, supportive bras, all the time. The more you, the the less you let gravity take over. The more your breasts, you're going to stay where they are. The more you keep them moisturized, so your skin doesn't crack. The better they're going to stay.
1: And the, e- and even then, you have to understand that every year, after age eighteen, we lose one more percent of collagen. So when your skin slowly loses that. Important protein that l- that really is the reins of the horse. It holds the skin up and taut and and and, and makes it youthful. Each year, it gets weaker
0: and weaker. Absolutely. Um, so, so a couple take take home messages. So we don't talk to forever because this is one of those those topics we can really talk forever and ever. Um, number one, uh, breast lift procedure is a very good procedure, it is a very effective procedure when done by a board certified plastic surgeon. Please listen to what I said, because I could tell you stories about walking into operating rooms and watching people that don't know what they're doing, um, and this gets very, very kind of dirty. So go to someone that does a lot of these. Um, Go to someone that's very comfortable with doing different types of breast reductions. I'm saying breast lifts and reductions. So they can not just do the same thing for every single person, but individualize you. And a couple of things that that I want the general public to understand is it is a difficult uh, case because most people don't have exactly the same breasts. Mm-hmm. And what I like to tell people is we like to make them look as close to each other as possible. They're not twins, they're sisters, or maybe even cousins. Um, and sometimes when you do these procedures, depending on how big of a lift you need or or a reduction you need, sometimes you may need to do a little tweak later. Maybe you need to take a little bit more skin from one side. It's not that something went wrong, it's because there was a very big discrepancy between the two sides. And maybe <laughs> you, know, you had a little more sagging on one side. So remember, remember these things. And and again, the the one thing I would do is make sure you're on the same page with the surgeon. Make sure they understand your aesthetic because some people like to go much bigger, some people like to go much smaller. Some people, like we talked about earlier, be on the same page. So if for some reason something doesn't go the way you want it, you can actually have a discussion with your plastic surgeon and tell them, hey, listen, this is really what I wanted. Um, Definitely good take-home points. Anything else we need to tell the the public that's out there?
1: Well, listen, I listen. I ho- I hope you guys have learned something today. Um, you know, you know what to ask, you know what to look for, uh, and be prepared that you're going to have to put some scars in your breast, but don't you know ma- make that be the main concern because I promise you, shape will trump scars at any day of the week. So, and remember uh, one thing, one last take-home: you don't have to have an implant.
0: get that volume. Mm -hmm. There are other options nowadays. Now, again, we put in a ton of implants in this practice because sometimes that's just what you're looking for. But there are other options that auto-augmentation is a beautiful way to give you more fullness, yet not put any um, implanted.
1: And so. I, you know, I'm just, I'm going to toot your horn a little bit. I think that's why some of your results are so much better and last longer is because you do add an adjunct, which is the Morpheus, microneedling radio frequency, just to, you know, keep that breast taut so it lasts a little longer. This is, you know, where it's suspended. So use as
0: much technology as you can. Yep. It, it, it's, it's only out there to help us, it's not there to hurt us. Also remember that it's not magic. So some of the technology that we do talk about, I don't think can solely be used for some of these things procedures.
1: Yep, definitely. So listen, uh, thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, again, I hope you learned something today. And uh, definitely send more of your questions in and uh, give us some, some honest feedback. We, we really appreciate it. So once again, this is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. I'm Dr. Payment Poor. You can listen to us on the iHeartRadio
0: app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Peace. From iHeartRadio, Forever Young is a Cavalry Audio Golden Hippo production. We are produced by Brandon Morgan. Josh Windish does our editing and mixing.
1: Payment and I serve as executive producers along with Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger.